finding your spot there in Proverbs. Perhaps you heard the story about a lady who was going to have yet another birthday and her husband asked her what she wanted. And she said, I'd love to be six again. Well, on the morning of her birthday, he got her up bright and early and headed for the local theme park. And what a day it was. He put her on every ride in the park. The death slide, the screaming loop, and the wall of fear. Everything there was, she got on it, they rode it, and they had quite a time. Well, five hours later, she staggered out of the theme park. Her head was reeling, her stomach was upside down, and he took her straight to McDonald's. And her husband ordered her a Big Mac with extra fries and a chocolate shake. They left McDonald's and went off to a movie. It was the latest Star Wars film with hot dogs and popcorn and Pepsi and M&M's. What an adventure they had for her birthday. Well, finally, she wobbled home with her husband and she collapsed into bed. And this fellow leaned over and very lovingly asked, well, dear, what was it like being six again? And with only one eye open, she looked at him and said, you idiot, I meant my dress size. (laughs) Now, listen. Do you ever need wisdom when it comes to your family? Husbands, do you need wisdom in dealing with your wife? Wives, I know you certainly need wisdom in dealing with your husbands. Uh, Parents, do you ever need wisdom in parenting your children? Children, you need wisdom as well, don't you? We're turning again today to a book chock full of wisdom for daily life, wisdom for daily living. I'm talking, of course, about the book of Proverbs. And we've spent the first two messages in this summer series talking about how to get into the book and how to study the book and what our goals were and and the guidelines and how do you study a proverb and why should you study a proverb? And today we're going to actually jump into the Proverbs themselves. And we're going to tackle this subject together. And this subject is this wisdom for your family. Does Proverbs have, does it have anything to say about family life? Well, you bet it does. In fact, we're just going to basically scratch the surface today when it comes to studying wisdom uh, for your family here from Proverbs. Now, the sad thing is Solomon, who's the primary author of the book, uh, didn't seem to uh, always follow his own counsel. You know, he was writing under divine inspiration. The Holy Spirit inspired this book, but he didn't always, it seems, uh, heed his own counsel. In fact, Proverbs 18.22, and by the way, I'm going to use so many Proverbs today. We're going to be in so many places. I encourage you, if you want to try to keep up, that's fine. I will show you most of them. I'll, I'll put most of them on the screen. You can jot down references. You can turn as fast as you'd like. Ever how you want to follow along today, that's fine. We will turn to a couple passages together. But let me just look at this with Proverbs 8, 20, 18.22. Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And obtains favor from the Lord. The problem was Solomon didn't stop with finding a wife. 
<laughs> in fact, if you look at 1 Kings 11.3, it says he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 porcupines, I mean concubines. <laughs> and his wives turned away his heart. A thousand women. And so, you know, 1822, he finds a wife, finds a good thing. Well, I guess Solomon says, well, one is good, two is better, a thousand is best. But we know that's not the case. If you know Solomon's story, his family situation didn't turn out so well. And so we want to learn from his mistakes and we want to do better and make our family better. Now, obviously, we cannot expound every proverb that deals with the family. Uh, I'm kind of like a jeweler today. I don't go in jewelry shops very often. But I remember being in a jewelry shop once and I saw a sign that notified the customers there and notified me uh, as I was there looking that they can't pull out all their beautiful jewelry and show it to you all at one time. In fact, due to insurance regulations, they could only pull out one or two pieces and show them to you. And then they had to put those away and pull out some others. And so today I'm kind of like the jeweler. I can't pull out all of these wonderful jewels of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Instead, we're going to reach into the vault and reach into the case and pull out one or two at a time. Then we'll set those aside and pull out some more as we explore what the Bible has to say, especially the book of Proverbs concerning wisdom for your family. And guys, I know since you like to take a nap somewhere along the sermon, I'm going to start with us first and talk about wisdom for husbands. Wisdom for husbands. Now, there are two main thoughts I want to bring to your attention when it comes to the wisdom that we learn in the book of Proverbs. And while there's so much I could say, I'm going to you know, kind of keep myself to two thoughts for the husbands and two thoughts for the wives. Then we'll speak to the parents and then we'll also speak to children. But as we look at Proverbs, you begin to study Proverbs, you begin to look at what it says to husbands and what it says to the men. Uh, the very first thing I want to remind us today is this. Be grateful for your wife. Be grateful for your wife. I'll put that verse up again. We just read it. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Guys, do you remember back to those days when you were looking for a wife? Yeah, I know it's been quite a long time ago, but don't forget those lonely days. Now, if you've got a wife, if the Lord has given you a wife, it says that you have a good thing. The Lord has blessed you. The Lord has favored you. Now, Proverbs has much to say about the wrong kind of woman. And you can read a lot about the wrong kind of woman. But obviously, if the Lord gave you your wife, he gave you the right kind of woman and he gave you the right woman. And in my times of doing pre-marriage counseling with uh, engaged couples and talking to them about marriage, we talk to them about what the Bible as a whole has to say about marriage, not just Proverbs. But I remind each couple that comes, and there might be some here today who's gone through this, that God designed marriage between a man and a woman so some things could take place. First of all, they could mirror God's image. Their relationship could be a mirror of God and His goodness and God and His character. And then God also gave us marriage because it mutually completes us. We mutually complete one another. The man needs the lady and the lady needs the man. You know, God created Adam and said it's not good that man should be alone. He created someone to complete Adam. And then not only do we mirror God's image and mutually complete one another, we multiply a godly heritage. A Christian man and a Christian woman living together in holy matrimony, bringing children into this world. Training them into the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing them, God willing, be saved and, and, and multiply a godly heritage. Marriage is a blessing from God. 
And I want to remind all of us men, let's be thankful for the wives that God has given to us. In fact, Proverbs 19, 14 says this. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 4 says this. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And I wonder, guys, do we always treat our wives as a crown? I can't help but think of what Zig Ziglar said. You know, Zig Ziglar had some great things to say. But Zig Ziglar often said this, I believe. He said it often. If you treat your wife like a thoroughbred, you'll never end up with a nag. I mean, who wants to come home to that every day? You want to stay at work. I mean... Treat her like a thoroughbred and you won't get a nag. So husbands, be grateful for your wives. The Bible is very clear there. The Lord has given you favor. He's blessed you. He's uh, he's shown his light upon you. But not only be grateful for your wife, but there's something else that Proverbs really focuses in on for the guys and husbands. And it's this. We're to be faithful to our wives. In fact, I want you to turn to the first passage, Proverbs chapter 5, would you please? Proverbs chapter 5, we'll look at this together in the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 5, talking to the husbands. Here's where the Bible says, you know, Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon's warning against the immoral woman, a seductress. And he says, don't go near her, stay far away from her. Uh, Beware of her. And he goes on in Proverbs chapter 5, you get down to verse 15, he continues this thought and he talks to the husband, if you will. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. We'll read through verse 20. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? He's reminding us that are husbands, us that are men, to be faithful to our wives. Now, this world offers us many temptations to unfaithfulness. There are many opportunities, whether in thought or word or deed to be unfaithful to our spouse. Beloved, the proper place for healthy sexual relations is in the holy bond of marriage. One man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. In those same pre-marriage sessions that I have with the couples that come, we discuss God's purposes for sexual relations. We mention three in particular. First of all, procreation. That is to bring children into the world. If that didn't happen, there wouldn't be any children in the world. Secondly, not only procreation, but pleasure. The Bible is very clear. It's for pleasure. And then thirdly, for protection. As a spouse is satisfied at home, it helps protect them from the allurement outside the home. And so, husband, you're to warm your feet by your own fire, if I can say it that way. Be faithful to your wife. And Proverbs is clear here. We're to be grateful for our wives and we're to be faithful to our wives. Well, I guess you can take a nap now if you've got that down. But I'm going to talk to a word for wives. But you know what happens oftentimes when you preach a message like this? The men listen more carefully to the wives' counsel. And the wives listen more carefully to the men's counsel. And they say, I'm loading up my gun with this ammunition. I may need this. No, no, no. You take it in today. 
So what does Proverbs say to you? Well, it says a lot, but let's just kind of summarize it in two thoughts today. First of all, bless your husband. Bless your husband. We've mentioned it already, but think about it again. I'll give you the rest of the verse. Proverbs 12, 4. I gave you the first part. Notice the next part. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Now, ladies, I know your heart. I know your desire and your desire. I know is God's desire. And that is that you want to be an excellent wife who brings not rottenness and not shame to your husband and to your family. But to serve as the crown. Now, listen, where it says an excellent wife, I want you to notice it does not say a perfect wife is the crown of her husband. Our world is preaching uh, things to ladies today that need to be perfect and have the perfect body and the perfect home and the perfect family and everything be perfect. And beloved, that's make believe because we live in a fallen, broken world. This is an excellent wife. And in the King James, if you have the old King James, it would probably say a virtuous wife. If you're reading the NIV, it says a wife of noble character. And that's the idea, the woman's character. Ladies, the best way to bless your husband, the best way to be his crown, the best way to bless your family is to live a godly life. A virtuous woman, a noble character woman, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12 says this way. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. Listen, you're a crown and you're far above rubies. I told you I'm a jeweler today. I'm bringing them out, showing you the wisdom. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And that's why, guys, the Bible says to us what he who finds a good wife finds a good thing. Why? Because a good wife will do you good and not evil all the days of your life. And so, ladies, the Bible is clear that you're to bless your husband. Now, you know, I gave you the men, I gave you kind of a positive and a negative. The positive was to be grateful, the negative, but be sure you're faithful. I know that's still positive, but it's you know, kind of thinking about negative things of being unfaithful. Well, the same thing for the ladies here. There's a positive, but as I studied the scriptures, there's another thing that comes out for the wives. And so I'll just say it because the Bible says it. Don't be contentious. They say, well, preacher, out of everything you could have said today, why did you bring that up? I mean, don't be contentious. Why bring that up? Well, as I study what God's word in Proverbs says to the wives, it kept coming up over and over again. So I want to be faithful to the text. So look at it with me, if you will. Notice Proverbs 19, 13. A foolish son is the ruin of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. You've got to picture that. You've got a leak in your roof. It drips. Proverbs 21.9. Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Then it gets maybe worse. You go in the corner of the house, 2119, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And then he goes back home, Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And finally, 2715, a continual dripping. So I guess it's raining again. 
on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now, I know I'm walking on dangerous ground here, especially if there are any contentious women among us. (laughs) Uh, But don't fuss at me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the newspaper boy. If you don't like what it says, talk to the editor. But what does it mean about being contentious? What does it mean to be contentious? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary and it means wanting to argue and disagree and fight a contentious person. Listen, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And a contentious woman is not a blessing. In fact, it's like it's continual dripping and it's better to get up on the roof and away from someone like that. The Bible teaches about biblical roles in marriage. And the Bible talks to the lady about being a compliment to your husband, not a competitor. You're on the same team. You're on the same page. You become one. God has brought you together. And so the Bible is very clear here. It talks about that. A woman is to bless her husband and not be contentious. And I better move on lest some contentious woman throws a hymn book at me. Well, let's move from a word to husbands and a word to wives to wisdom for parents. And by the way, all of this we're talking about is not to be done in our own strength. It's to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Left to ourselves, we mess things up. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. What do we say to parents? Well, we need to say much from Proverbs. We need to recognize as parents that the decisions that we're making now will either bring grief or gladness to us in later days. Proverbs 10.1 says it this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. You ever think about mom and dad, the decisions we make today will result in bringing either grief or gladness in days to come. If I can say anything to parents today, I would say this. Be the parent. Be the parent. You're not just the child's buddy. You're not just the child's friend. You're their parent. So parent. We live in a day where it seems that some parents are afraid to parent. Now, listen, I'm talking to parents as a parent. And I'll be the first to admit and first put my hands up today that I don't have all the answers. I don't even know all the questions. Uh, and, and yes, you say, well, preacher, do you ever have rough days? Yes. Do you ever mess up? Yes. Uh, do you ever get frustrated? Yes. But we want to go to the scripture and glean spiritual wisdom and scriptural wisdom and then take and apply it to our our lives. And I'm going to give you three thoughts here, but really they're all kind of intertwined and interrelated. and They all kind of go together, but we're going to separate them just to talk about them. And of course, they all go together. So what does the Bible say? What does Proverbs say to the parents? What says, first of all, that you need to be training your children, train your children. You've seen this verse. In fact, it's this week's memory verse. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I've already reminded you so far in our series that that is not an ironclad promise. That is a proverb. That is a principle. Generally speaking, that's the way things work out. Of course, children have their own free will and they make decisions. But more times than not, that's what generally happens when you train up a child. We're to give our children training and instruction for life. Proverbs 1, 8, 9. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. You say, he's talking to his son there. Yes, but he's implying that the husband and, and the wife and the mom and dad are going to be given that instruction and that training. Does this not entail what most of parenting is? Uh, the majority of our time is what we're constantly training, constantly instructing children, are we not? I mean, it starts out early on and you go from, OK, well, don't don't take your diaper off. Leave it on. 
Duct tape works, by the way. Um, then here's how you hold a spoon. And here's how you chew that. And here's how you cut that. And then you move on. Here's how to tie your shoe. And here's how to put on your jacket. And here's how to dress yourself. And on and on and on. We're training them and instructing them. That's a much of what we're doing. And then it continues going on and the subjects get more complex and difficult. You begin talking about other things and relationships and all kinds of things. But we're training our children. The Bible says to train them. Train up a child the way he or she should go. But sometimes they will not follow our instruction. And so there's a second thing on our wisdom list from Proverbs. We move from training our children. From time to time, we have to do what? We have to correct our children. And the Bible is very clear. We have to correct our children. Look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 3.12. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Why do we correct our children? Because we love them. And the loving thing to do is to give them correction. Proverbs 3.12, when we correct our children, we're doing as our Heavenly Father does to us. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You leave a child, just let them be wild and let them be self-centered and selfish. They can become a terror, not only to their own home, but to the community. He brings shame to his parents. And so the rod and rebuke give wisdom. Proverbs 29, 17, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, and he will give delight to your soul. The child or young person needs correction. They need to understand why certain things are wrong, why they did wrong, why it is wrong, why they should not do that. And, of course, we need to use wisdom in this, too. Why? Because there's different things that children do. We, we need to draw a line between defiance, immaturity, and simple mistakes. We need to draw a line between those because we handle those differently. You know what defiance is, right? Go, go clean your room. No, I'm not going to do it. That's defiance. You deal with that one way. And maturity is something that they don't know any better. Maybe you've got a one and a half or a two year old downstairs and they take a toy from the nursery. Uh, you've got to train them, correct them. Listen, we don't take the toys from the nursery. Preacher will get mad. No, wait a minute. Uh, no, uh, that's wrong. That's stealing. You, know, you, you correct them. You, you handle it differently than you would a defiant act. Now, if they're five and they're stealing stuff from the church, that's something else. But maybe, maybe they're two years old and you tell them not go on the road. You might handle it a little bit differently than you accidentally, immaturely stealing a toy that they don't know any better because their safety is at stake. And then, of course, children make simple mistakes. A child accidentally spills her milk at the table. Do you bring corporal punishment out for that? Do you make a royal scene over that? No, it was an honest, simple mistake. You help them and you correct them. You see the difference? This deals with verbal correction. There are times we need to verbally correct our children, but sometimes, sad to say, we have to move beyond verbal correction to actually physically correcting our children. That is, we have to discipline our children. I told you all this kind of is intertwined and it's all kind of tied together. We're just kind of separating it out. Well, these are some favorite verses of children everywhere. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him when promptly. You deal with the issues. You say, is this fun? No, it's exhausting at times. Uh, Proverbs twenty two fifteen: foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction 
will drive it. I thought about getting a T-shirt because, you know, I'm Rodney. I thought about getting a T-shirt that said Rod of Correction. But anyway, uh, <laughs> foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And that's my new nickname. The Rod of Correction will drive it, drive it far. And then here's some. I'm going to put these up because I know they come to mind. And I want to deal with them. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment, but is the Bible saying that we should spank our children? Is the Bible saying there are times to use corporal punishment? Well, I think it's pretty clear there's that, that's on the table, is it not? Now, that last passage about beating with a rod, that is not teaching child abuse. There are those who want to run with that and say, well, see, it teaches child abuse. Listen, if you believe that God is saying abuse your child, you don't know God. That's not the heart of God. Does God abuse you? No. The idea here is disciplining a child. Whether it be sick. And there are many ways. That mentions a rod, a paddle. When I was, I, did you ever have to go out and get your own switch? Well, that's a fun trip, isn't it? There are times, according to what I'm reading in the Bible, where you may need to use corporal punishment, a rod, a uh, a paddle, a discipline, a belt, whatever. I don't believe for every offense and every day. There are many ways to discipline children. Uh, today, people use time out, sitting on a chair, loss of privileges, writing sentences and the like. The main thing, beloved, is I don't believe this, that, that you have to always use a belt or whatever, because there are times you should and, and times maybe you shouldn't. You need wisdom. In fact, some kids would love to take a belt and then go on about their way for them sitting on chairs like hell on earth. To be still and quiet. What I'm saying is, the main point is you're disciplining your child because you love your child. And by the way, if you reach for the belt every time, it kind of loses its effectiveness anyway. That what we're saying here is you're to bring discomfort to your child's life. I like to think about it in this regard. You're bringing consequences into their world. Just as there are consequences when we break the law. I mean, as much as Shane loves me, if I go out today and I rob a bank, Shane's got to put handcuffs on me. Right? Because you're an authority figure. He'll probably call somebody else to do it. But the main thing is there are consequences. Just as when a child breaks the law of their father and mother, there's consequences. And what are we doing when we discipline and correct and train? We're teaching them to submit to authority. And the great problem we have in our world is children are not taught to respect and obey authority. And that's why they won't listen at school. They won't listen to the principal. They won't listen at church. They won't listen anywhere. That's why they end up in all kinds of things, because they've never learned to respect authority. When I was growing up, and boy, I'm getting on the soapbox now. When I was growing up, any adult in the church could speak to you. And they would speak to you. And you would take notice. We need to return to those days of authority, of doing. And so they got to learn to obey authority. Parents give direction. I say it this way. Parents give direction. They give correction. and They give consequences. And they do this with a lot of patience, a lot of love. And listen, the best parenting tip we can ever give, a lot of prayer. I'll tell you what, one of the greatest helps to your prayer life is having children, is it not? Man, that's a lifelong encouragement in your prayer life. We do it with love, patience, a lot of prayer. When we discipline, we don't do it out of frustration or anger. We do it for the benefit of the child. Well, let's move on because I know that the children are excited. Now, let's talk to the children for a moment. A wisdom for children and youth, and we're almost done. Two points for you guys. We'll go to Proverbs 6 for the first one. First of all, respect and obey your parents. Just that plain and simple. Respect and obey your parents. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 20 through 22. Proverbs 6, 20 through 22. My son... Keep your father's command 
and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. In other words, listen, I know it's difficult to do, but if you've got a godly man and woman as your mom and dad, or you just have a mom or dad, or maybe a grandparent, whoever it may be that God's placed in your life that loves you, they're seeking the best they can for you. And while you always don't like to be under their thumb, as it were, realize they have your best at heart. Did they fail and mess up? Yes, I do too. But he says you're to respect and obey them. It's so serious. Look at what it says in Proverbs 20, 20. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. The Bible is very strong in what it has to say about the way that children should obey their parents. In fact, this is one of the strongest ones I found. This is we're studying Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Now, listen, Mama, Dad, please don't use that verse this week in your discipline necessarily. I wouldn't frame that and hang it in the nursery necessarily. But the picture is that if you disobey your mom and dad, if you disobey and rebel against authority, there are consequences and there are dire consequences. You think people that started out and have wrecked their lives and ended up laying out somewhere, having the birds eat their eyes, they started out saying, you know, that's my goal in life. But as you rebel against God given authority and God ordained authority, there is a price to pay and there are consequences to pay. And so I say to you, boys and girls, you teenagers, you young people, first of all, respect and obey your parents. And now here's a very important one and we're done. Choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends carefully. Go back to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. You know, we studied the first part of Proverbs 1. It begins talking to the son, the young person. Look at Proverbs 1, beginning at verse 10. Proverbs 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, that means that they say, hey, come on, go with us. They tempt you. Let's go do do wrong. It says, do not consent. Don't do it. Say no. If they say, verse 11, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and the whole, uh, like those who go down to the bit. Let's, let's kill them. Verse 13. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. Get their wallet. Get their, get their purse. Get that necklace. Get that gold. Whatever it is. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Come with us. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Let us all have one purse. Verse 15 says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 28, 7. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons. Uh, the idea there of a glutton is someone who oh, eats and, and, and overeats and lives for us. And, it, and usually they hang out with those who are alcoholics and others in the scriptures. A glutton, they shame his father. The wrong kind of companions, the wrong kind of friends. Why? Because never forget this. Proverbs twenty eleven. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. And so, beloved, you're known. Boys and girls, teenagers, young people, adults, all of us. People know us by the way we live and the deeds that we do. And so I say to those that are young today, choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends carefully. Now, beloved, we're out of time. But have I done this? Do you see how practical The book of Proverbs is 
I mean, it speaks to daily life. It speaks to Monday morning chaos. Which is worse, Monday morning chaos or Sunday morning chaos? Sometimes Sunday morning's worse, right? It talks about parenting and, and marriage and husbands and wives and children and, and decisions. It speaks to where we live. It's wisdom for daily life. And I want to encourage all of us to take its truths to school with us. Take it to the office. Take it home with you. Apply its truths to your marriage. Apply its truths to your parenting, to your family relations. Because what we've discussed today is the word of God. What we've discussed today, these verses are more valuable than any jewels from any jeweler's cabinet. In this book, there is so much wisdom for your family. Take it, receive it, and apply it in your life. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at how you have spoken Again today to our lives from your word. This is not an antiquated book. This is not a book that's irrelevant. It speaks to where we live in 2015. And so, Father, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to apply the truths that we've learned, whatever our role is within the family. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you and Lord, to share your love with others, with each other. And Lord, to experience your love ourselves. We know that the things you've laid out here, the instruction, the warning, the guidance, the proverbs, the principles, they're here because you love us and you want the very best for us. And so, Father, I pray your blessings upon the families that are represented here. And Lord, those who will be listening to this message later, I pray that you will help us all to be obedient to your word and find the needed wisdom for daily living that is so desperately needed. We love you and praise you and thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a closing psalm. We're going to sing 312. If you'll find it softly and tenderly. If you have a need upon your heart today, we invite you to come and pray. In this series of Proverbs, we're going to be speaking about very practical things. And we'll do it again next Sunday. Well, actually not next Sunday, but the next Sunday. Next Sunday's homecoming. We're going to get back into Proverbs afterward and talk about things that will help you where you live today. But I want to encourage you. Read the book of Proverbs. Look this week for what it says to you and to your family and apply what it says. Let's stand and sing softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling number 312. Let's stand and sing.